The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with a return guest, my friend Lee Fredrickson of Hinge Marketing. Uh, Lee, welcome back to the show, man. It's good to be here. It's good to have you. You have a uh, another new study out, but before we get to the new study, please tell people uh, about you and about Hinge. Okay. Well, I am a behavioral psychologist by training and a business person by occupation. And Hinge is a branding and marketing firm that works exclusively with professional services firms. And one of the things that we've done that's uh, different than most is we have a research-driven approach. In other words, we uh, use research findings to determine what works best and what helps companies grow the fastest. Okay. And we have uh, discussed both on the show and one-on-one separately, uh, several of your studies, including a couple of your books. Uh, you can find Lee, by the way, at hingemarketing.com. Uh, go to their resources page, and there's just literally tons of stuff. If there's anybody who produces as much or maybe more content than me in this market, it would be Lee and his team. So um, I consider that an honor. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, you know, it's cool stuff. Yeah. So um, and and we write often about the same things, but you take a uh, a more statistical, uh, research oriented slant. I'm writing experientially front end field mm-hmm. stuff, and and the overlap is tremendous. Isn't it amazing sometimes how they coincide? Yeah, yeah. I love research that reflects that my most of my instincts are accurate. I hate it when <laughs> when it points out that I'm not. Inconvenient. But, yeah, that's most inconvenient. <laughs> but uh, so we have the 2019 high growth study, and it's targeted at professional services firms. But uh, give a little background on this. Well, this is a study that we have started doing every year, uh, and this year we have over 1,000 professional services firms, and they represent over a trillion dollars in revenue and 17 million employees. So the beauty of this is it's a large enough sample so we can talk about the industry as a whole and isolate what the high-growth firms do that's different. That's a, a lot of companies, a lot of people, and a lot of money. Yep. So uh, you've got companies represented here at the bottom of that particular food chain and well up into the uh, probably hundreds of millions. Indeed, uh, in the, the B level, in billions. Okay. So it's a, a full range of them, and that's, uh, that's the beauty of it. You can look at the differences. Cool. So um, this is not the first time you've done your study. No. Um, so uh, this is number four or five? Uh, yes, it, it's at least number five, although we started doing them every year. So I believe this is the third other. year that we've done it in a row. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk some granular stuff here. The The executive summary of this study, by the way, can be downloaded from Lee's website, hingemarketing.com. 
I should have said this before. He's the founding partner of Hinge. He is the managing partner of Hinge. And again, you know, the research there is, is just – for me, it's like fun reading. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so um, future of professional services firms uh, is going to be competitive and there's going to be changes in both the technology and in the buyer behavior. What do you mean here? Well, it, it's, uh, it's interesting how uh, there is a growing consensus – about how the market is changing, that buyers are changing. Uh, when we were on last time, we talked about how they changed in the last five years, how dramatically the buyers have changed. And firms are recognizing that they have more competition, but it's not just competition from larger firms that you know people are usually aware of. It's also the larger firms are concerned about competition from the smaller firms. So it's actually coming from both directions. And that, of course, is driven partly by technology, but it's also driven by a change in buyer behavior. So the, those two things together really roil the marketplace. Okay. And we have uh, uh, five threats facing these, uh, these organizations. Um, so run, run down the list slowly. Okay. The first one is increased competition. As I said, that's coming from above and below, and that's the largest threat. But with that, sort of hand in glove with that, comes the concern about price pressure and commoditization, that uh, with so much competition entering the marketplace, that that naturally drives down price pressure unless you happen to be one of those firms that's found a way around that commoditization. And that's what some of the high-growth firms have done. And we're going to talk a little and bit we'll about, about those, yeah, uh, what that those is. things, you know, the Michael Porter approach to the universe. That's right, right. Um, and, and then, of course, the shortage of top talent is really, you know, it's a perennial issue within the government contracting, particularly within the secured area. But we're seeing it much more now in uh, engineering, accounting, uh, a wide range of the technical fields there's really uh, and of course technology there's really a shortage of talent that people are battling for okay. and then of course, how changing the way buyers buy services is the next thing that comes into play uh, where people have seen that they're buying differently, and the amount of referrals that are actually being made are going down uh, so that that's really hitting people. And then finally, rounding out the top five is the technological advancement, uh, the things that are happening that are just really roiling the marketplace. Okay. So the average uh, uh, growth year over year, uh, from at least from your previous studies, is actually up. That's right. So there's good news in there. The average growth is up a little bit. Uh, it was 9% in uh, – 2017 and 11% in 2018. So that's good news for the professional services. Okay. And even over the pre years previous to that, it, it's it's never broken 11% before. No, no. That's the highest we've got so far on, uh, on uh, since we've been doing the studies. Right. So, uh, and I don't know anybody that was doing these particular studies prior to that. So not that uh, I'm aware of. We're, we're still the benchmark here. You're still the benchmark here. So it, it is encouraging to see the growth factor. You know, not huge, but it, it yeah. it's up. Yeah, it's up. So um, 
Cooper, you you included a little more this year, I think, on government contracting than previously. So, um, and you're and you're indicating that uh, uh, the growth opportunity is there, but you 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 put kind of a question mark, maybe a window on that as well. Right. The uh, for now, it's there that the government contractors have led those people who do not sell to the government. So give you a, a feeling for the magnitude, those that don't sell to the government grew an average of 8.3%, while those that do sell grew an average of 11.8%. So there's an advantage there. It's almost a third more growth, even though it's a f- just a few percentage points. So the advantage to the government contractors for the moment yeah, and and the caveat there would be if you have no government experience, do not assume that simply planting your flag here is going to win you business. Uh, that's a great way to win heartache. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so uh, adult supervision is necessary when entering this market. Um, so, um, so the high-growth firms, we're only going to uh, start on this right now. So – uh, high growth firms achieved at least twenty percent annual compound growth. growth. Yeah, that's how we define them. And interestingly, when you look at how they grew, you know the average growth firms grew an average of about eight point four percent, the same as those that didn't do government contracting. Whereas the high growth firms grew an average of forty one and a half percent almost 42%. So that is a tremendous difference in growth. You know, a compound annual growth rate of 40%, you are clipping along. Yeah, and and this applies literally across the board from small companies through mid and large. And that that's a very interesting point you raised there, uh, Mark, that uh, we really sound, found this time there was no difference in terms of the size of the firms that were fast-growing. In the past, we tended to see some of the smaller firms seem to have an advantage or more likely, but this year it's erased. So, well, I mean, you know, if you're a million-dollar company and you want a million-dollar contract, you just doubled your – I I know, but the, the fact of the matter is is even the largest companies had high-growth firms within them. Yeah. And so uh, people are figuring out formulas that work for them. Cool. Uh, before we proceed, we are going to take a break, but uh, we're going to dive deep into – this report, I strongly suggest you go to hingemarketing.com and download the 2019 High Growth Study Executive Summary. There is a larger report behind it, but I don't believe you can download that for free. No. No. So, <laughs> hingemarketing.com, you're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Lee and I shall return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Uh, I'm here with Lee Fredrickson. Uh, you can find Lee at hingemarketing.com. You can also find Lee at uh, uh, on LinkedIn. I, I suggest you do both. And Lee, spell your last name for them, please, because it's, it's a little different. Yes, it's F-R-E-D-E-R-I-K-S-E-N. See, I even miss – that's why I asked you to do it because I always <laughs> throw in that C too. Yeah, the, the extra C. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, have have we uh, done the you, – you have uh, 349 companies in your study, probably about a third of the companies then in your study uh-huh. hit this high growth mark. Yep. 
Yep. That's that's pretty cool. It is. Who are and, they? Uh, <laughs> I want names. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, as, as we were mentioning before, they are of all sizes, and they do have a few things in common that are part of their strategy, part of how they do things that are differently, and that and that's what we find most fascinating because these are things that you can actively decide to do. And the first one of those, and in some ways I think the thing that is probably most important, is that they focus on differentiating their firm, on differentiation, making their firm different in a way that's meaningful to their potential clients. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's that's one of the key things. Well, let's, let's, we're going to take a deep dive into that because, uh, number one, it's something I write about frequently – I coach uh, both individual consultants and small companies Mm -hmm. on this. If they get it and if they differentiate in ways that resonate with their market niche, then real growth can occur. But real growth is is, – it's not instant. No. So um, talk a little bit about how you uh, go through your differentiation process because I've used your slides in my presentations a couple of times and you have about 23 criteria. We're not going to go through all of them. (laughs) Well, I I think one of the the things that's most important to understand about differentiation is it's not about what you think about your company, how you think it's different Uh, because you talk to people and they've got all these reasons they think it's different. Well, there's some problems with those. The first of a, uh, and the first fundamental problem is a lot of times you don't really understand your client in the same way that they look at your company. You look at your company differently. You know a lot more about it. You think about it differently. So that's the first thing is uh, can you prove to somebody that you're actually different? Is there something you can point to that's objective and say that's different? The second hurdle that people often run into is the whole concept of is it relevant to your customer? And this is, this is the one that really gets you because you have all these things that you think are so important, like you're a trusted advisor, for example. Everybody wants to be a trusted advisor. Well, the reality of it is no one goes out looking for a trusted advisor. They look for somebody who can solve their IT problem or someone who can help them restructure their compensation system, uh, who can solve the problem. It's only through working with someone that you gain trust and they become a trusted advisor. But no one says they're looking for a trusted advisor. So if you put it on your LinkedIn profile... You aren't automatically one? No, yeah, exactly. It's a little bit like putting, I'm honest, you know. Well, you know, one one of the things on LinkedIn profiles that, that literally makes me laugh out loud is when somebody calls themselves a thought leader. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a title bestowed by the market niche, not self-inflicted. Exactly, um, exactly. It's like calling yourself smart. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think we both fall into that category. But it's demonstrated by the work we do with the companies that we work with. Yep. So um, are you done with it? You know, you can't be done with differentiation. (laughs) Well, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of different people sometimes say, well, how can I differentiate my firm? You know, I'm a lot like other government contractors or I'm a lot like other accounting firms or law firms. We're very similar. 
And there's a lot of truth to that, that there are a lot of similarities. So it's real easy to not have any differentiation. But when you look at all of the different things you can do to differentiate, there's really a lot of possibilities. And most of it gets down to what do you have expertise in? What are the kinds of problems you can solve for your clients? What are the things that are are really helpful to it? So for professional services, being a specialist or having particular expertise is usually the way, usually the path that works for most people. And that trusted advisor uh, uh, role, if you will, uh, when I coach salespeople, they go, I'm not a subject matter expert. And I'm going, how long have you been selling to this particular agency? Well, you know, eight years. How many, how many of the personnel do you know? How many of the pain points do you know? Do you know their yeah. budget process? Do you know the vehicles they purchase off of? Mm-hmm. You know, you are a subject matter expert on doing business with that agency for your company. They probably view you as a trusted advisor because you've been there for eight years. Exactly. Yeah, and, and the thing of it is, Mark, is that what people don't realize sometimes is it's not – so much whether or not you understand how much you understand technically. It's more what can you explain to your customer, to your client? How can you take a complicated subject and explain it and describe it? And if you can do that, you're, you're going to be seen as the expert. That, that's one of the things that I, I have borrowed from you with attribution several times and the, the ability to explain the complex in simple, digestible terms. Yes. So. As, as Einstein uh, famously said, if you can't explain it in simple terms, you don't really understand it. <laughs> I like that too. <laughs> so uh, Lee has a whole uh, – do you have a white paper on your differentiation approach? Uh, we do, and we uh, we teach a uh, in our Hinge University or online. We have an online program about it. So uh, we actually do a lot of work around differentiation because it is such a pain point for most uh, professional services firms. And doing the research to understand what differentiators mean the most to your market base is absolutely key to making that pay off. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's usually a surprise to people. So uh, so step one for the, uh, uh, the the companies making that that quantum leap is differentiation. What is step two? Oh, step two is a change, Mark. This has been something for years and years. Uh, I would come in here and tell you uh, that, look, the high growth firms don't spend any more on marketing than than average growth firms. They just spend it differently. And that that was a great message, but we found something this year that was started to appear last year but is really in full bloom this year, and that is high-growth firms are now starting to spend more on marketing than their lower-growth peers. See, I, I have suspected that from front lines, but it's not simply a matter of, of more spend, it's more intelligent spend. That's right. That's right. You can't you can't squander it and be successful. You have to spend it in the right places. But boy, oh boy, does it make a uh, you know does it make a difference? And I think what's happening is you're seeing the competition that we were talking about earlier is increasing, and you have more and more competitors. It's harder and harder to get your message out there. Right. And and you know for the, for the marketing side, I've run across. 
uh, small and medium-sized companies that say they've done the marketing. Well, we had this white paper once, or mm-hmm. we tried advertising on the radio or in the publication. And we ran it for you know two weeks, and we didn't get anything. Yep. Um, so it it it's not a one-off gig. It's not an occasional gig. Use the research from the differentiation to understand the the information grazing habits what what drives the people so you can use your differentiators to determine the marketing yeah that's, that's right when you do the research you can find out where people turn when they're looking for information you know the the way people solve problems these days uh, you know, it used to be when you had a problem, you go over to Ed at the next uh, at the next office and you'd say, Ed, you know, do you know anybody who can help me with this, or do you know how to do that? Well, now Ed is busy. If he didn't get laid off, he's you know he's working hard, uh, just as hard as you are. So what do you do? You know, you hop on your computer, you you know fire up a browser, and you look for information on something. So on, in some of your other studies. Particularly your your uh, your book on creating the the visible expert mm-hmm. status. Um, give the title of the book, please. Uh, the visible expert. The visible expert. Um, you you talk about some of the types of marketing, the activities that the expert must engage in. Touch on that for a minute. Well, there's three kinds of channels that people can engage in one is you can speak you can and some people are very comfortable speaking it comes naturally and these days you can do that face to face at a conference like uh, you're going to do this afternoon or uh, you can do it on a podcast or any number of webinars any number of ways you can also write and you can write blog posts or you can write guest posts and, and articles or you can network, and you can be an effective networker, whether it's social media, which is uh, gives you a lot more flexibility geographically and time-wise, or whether it's face-to-face. Or both. Or both, yeah, any combination of those. So what we really recommend is that you understand where your strengths are as an individual, and then you build a way of communicating regularly with your audience using one of those channels. Cool. We're going to take a break. You're listening. This is going fast, man. This is going too fast. We need a two-hour show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'll be back with Lee right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Uh, I'm here with Lee Fredrickson. If you can't tell, we're having a little bit of fun because we geek out on this stuff. Differentiation, uh, building that subject matter expert platform. Uh, content marketing, you know, we love this stuff. Uh, and mercifully, it is all necessary stuff. So uh, third point on high-growth firms, and to get back to the point at hand, high-growth firms enjoy a skills advantage with their subject matter experts. Isn't that something? Yeah. They, I'm shocked. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. Uh, well, it, it's interesting that uh, to our knowledge, no one has really looked at this or explored this, you know, about is there differences in the skill? And what we find is that one of the really secret weapons, if you will, of the high growth firms is their subject matter experts are communicating their expertise. They're doing it either by speaking, by writing, by networking. They're educating the people who are potential clients of theirs. And they have greater skill at it. So 
what that tells me is that you can do something about it. You can increase your skill, whether it's increasing your skill on networking on LinkedIn or increasing your skill on how to write better or how to be a better public speaker. These are all things that are achievable. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, to that, I just wrapped up a, uh, a 10-week training for a mid-sized contractor focused exclusively on LinkedIn. I did uh, uh, one-on-one coaching with 20, and then I did group coaching for the entire 200-plus uh, people in the company. What I loved was after the first session when I went through the simple mechanics, mm-hmm. I had people coming up and thanking me then saying, I had no idea LinkedIn could do all this stuff. Right. Okay. And and now that we did the wrap-up session, I'm seeing the traction that they're getting 10 weeks later from actually engaging on the platform, having a robust profile, finding the content to share with those people, beginning to influence the direction of people's thinkings, not with propaganda, but with real educational yeah, material with their their actual expertise <laughs> exactly so so how, how does a high growth company uh use their SMEs how do they position their SMEs well uh they position them as experts uh then the notion as we were talking about earlier uh you know experts there's a couple of things about them besides they actually know their stuff so i think we need to say that that you have you have to be an expert to be an expert uh but the other thing that they do is they focus on sharing that information. Uh, you know, they're so concerned. People are sometimes concerned, well, what if I tell everybody how to do something? What do they need me for? You know, and the reality of it is uh, the person who educates you is the first person you look for when you need help. And you will need help if yeah. it's anything that's more complicated than opening a door. Yeah, I mean, you know? if, if you do the man behind the curtain routine, don't look, you know. Yeah, Exactly. You got to share some information. That's right. So, um, and it's already out there. If you're not sharing it, somebody else is. But you can I, pretty much be assured of that. Th- this this gets back to our content marketing, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what are the important activities of a of a SME? Run run through this short list. There's only seven items here. Right. So the the kinds of things we have identified where they have a skill advantage are networking face to face, putting together presentations like slide presentations, uh, interviewing other subject matter experts. That's an overlooked one sometimes, the ability. Obviously, you know that, but the ability to interview and get information out of people, that's a skill. The one great thing about having this show is my ability to bring in other marketing experts and share this knowledge with them. Yes, exactly. And if you share it with other experts, you become an expert. You because you're that's what experts do is share their knowledge. Right. Uh, speaking on webinars and podcasts is another one. Uh, writing short articles or blog posts is another skill area. Writing technical articles or white papers, longer things, and networking on social media. So really, there's a way to reach your audience for just about anybody, uh, even if you're an introvert. <coughs> Yeah, and and it it gets back to uh, uh, Chris Anderson's book, The Long Tail, mm-hmm. uh, on on social media, particularly on LinkedIn for business issues. LinkedIn has just under six hundred million members now. Uh, a quarter of those, a little better than a quarter of those, are in the uh, in the U.S. 
And uh, in the government market, there's 2.1 million feds on LinkedIn, which means all the contractors are here. Mm-hmm. So if you need to reach out and influence anybody, if you can't find them, call me. I can help. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> but and if they aren't on LinkedIn, are they actually real? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, believe it or not, there are one or two people in the market that aren't on LinkedIn. And, and you know, for the life of me, I can't figure out why. Yeah, I'm but, sure somewhere there's still a firm that doesn't have a website too. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, but uh, neither here nor there. Let me let me strongly suggest you get uh, Lee's Visible Experts uh, book because there's a lot of really excellent information in there. Uh, we done with experts for right now. Yes, indeed. Let's move on. Um, this is interesting too because I recently did a show with Kevin DeSanto of Kips DeSanto mm-hmm. on on the uh, uh, the M and A client in the government market. So high growth firms were more likely to leverage merger and acquisition, right? Which has surprised us because the you know one of the characteristics of high growth firms is that they've really been focused on organic growth. But here's one of the things we found that was one of the, probably one of the most intriguing is. They while they do more uh, mergers and more acquisitions, if you look at the actual growth they get it, most of their growth, almost 83% of their growth is organic, even though they're also getting acquisitions. So we asked ourselves the question, how could that be? They do more acquisitions, but they're, uh, they, most of their <coughs> growth comes organically. And then what it really turns out to be is their acquisitions are very strategic. They're finding – they're bringing a skill set into the firm that they don't have, mm-hmm. a narrow focus or something. So if you if you look at the two kinds of acquisitions, either strategic where you're adding a capability or accessing a new market – and just those that accumulate where it's more of the same, but you put two undifferentiated companies together, all you end up is with a bigger undifferentiated companies who has merger acquisition issues. Mm-hmm. So there is a, if you will, there's sort of a right way to use mergers and there's a not so effective way to use mergers to grow. Right. You know, if, if, if you go back a bit, you know, as, as a market matures, it morphs. So an area of interest morphs into 10 areas of interest. So the web turned 30 years old uh, this year, I believe. And uh, in the early 90s, I was on the board of something called the National Computer Security Association. Not uh-huh. because I knew computers or security. I was the marketing guy. Uh-huh. Um, well, they, <laughs> they needed, have one. <laughs> they, well, yeah, and, and they did have one, me. Uh, but back then when you said computer security or network security, it covered pretty much everything. Yeah. You can't do that anymore. Right. The market has morphed, you know, a hundred times since then. So when you say uh, network security, you have, you know, internal threats, external threats, uh, extrusion continuing diagnostic you know the list goes on, on and on and on, on, and on. on. yeah so yeah. and and on the M&A side you get something like continuous diagnostics and mitigation since 2010 it has become a a a must have must do mm-hmm. if you're a firm so if you're a professional services firm you didn't have a CDM element to it you better get one and buying is often faster than building mhm mm-hmm. especially exactly. if you can buy one it's got that reputation. And if you're the kind of person who wants to sell a company, 
think about the buyers. Who's going to pay the most? And the the buyer that will pay the most is someone who is a strategic buyer, mm-hmm. who had their, they value the niche or the thing that you have. Uh, I, I remember one of our uh, one of our previous pieces of research on uh, acquisitions and where they get the premium valuation. We had one example of a firm that sold for ten times their revenue. Not bad. And, yeah, not bad. <laughs> so this is the impact of a strategic acquisition. They really, really, really want your expertise. Yeah, you want to buy me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but yeah, that 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 is the case. So and and I would strongly suggest, and you probably do this that the five elements that we're discussing of high-growth firms are things that you can help companies with when they are looking at that three- to five-year window when they want to sell their firm. Exactly. And and it's really part of a process that you do, and you alluded to this first, that really starts with research is the basis is understanding your market better than the market understands itself. Uh, And that's where it starts, and that's what allows you to determine what is your differentiator, what should it be, what kind of advantage? How are you going to reach the market? It all is based on that understanding. Yeah, but the visibility factor helps when you're trying to sell your company. That's right. You so betcha. If you're not it, visible. You're invisible. <laughs> you're invisible. All right, we're going to take our last break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Lee and I shall return and wrap up right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with Lee Fredrickson. You can find Lee on LinkedIn, and you can find him at Hinge, H-I-N-G-E, marketing.com. The study we're talking about is a 2019 high-growth study. You can download the executive summary at Lee's website. And uh, we're on to uh, the fifth uh, spoke on the wheel uh, for high-growth firms, and that's uh, high-growth firms target their clients and prospects on both digital and traditional channels. Yes. Uh, Interesting. This is something that we saw emerging a few years ago, and now it's really uh, universal that uh, if you're going to reach your audience, you need to be on both traditional and digital. And when a firm is just on one they're sacrificing some of their marketing opportunity. So people will say, you know, it's really all about face-to-face networking. Yes, that's important. And some will say it's all about social media. Yes, that's also important. So the really the way to be effective is you've got to put it together that reflects how your audience uses media, where your audience turns to when they're trying to solve a problem. And if your audience isn't within a decent geographic proximity, social is a natural. That's right. So, but I believe these should be in in your marketing program designed to work together, not really separately. So, let's say you're you're participating at an event in Denver, mm-hmm. and it's for three agencies. Well, you can go on LinkedIn. Pull up those agencies, do a location search within those agencies, and do some outreach. You can share on your blog, your podcast, your newsletter that you're going to be out there. Encourage people to meet with you while you're there. You can get on the phone and call them and tell them you're going to be there. Yes. 
You can write them a letter. <laughs> but the uh, I think you you really put your finger on it there, Mark. It, it's uh, it's not that there's one channel that's the right channel. It's a combination of where is your audience and some. Within some channels, audiences tend to be on one platform versus another, or they tend to use uh, attend one conference but not the other. So understanding where it is. So what you're trying to achieve is no matter where someone turns, there you are. Yeah. So you set your goals on LinkedIn. You want to connect with these people. You're reaching out to people within a specific agency. A number of them accept your uh, your invitation to connect. So they're in your network. So if you go to your homepage, you're going to see their activity down the center of your homepage if they do anything on LinkedIn. Uh, if you go to your notifications, you'll see if they have a job change, if they have a birthday, uh, you know, and any, any it's right, activity. It's right there for you. It's right there for you. And you the simple touch, you know, happy birthday, Bob. We haven't talked for a while. Uh, you know, you got five minutes to catch up. Boom. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're back on the radar. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you a little anecdote. It, uh, it happened to one of our clients. We got a call from this uh, vice president of marketing, a, a large firm, and they said, you know, I didn't really know about you, but I had three different people approach me with your study and said, we need to talk to these people. And he said, by the third one, I, you know, I know I had to call you. Picked up the phone. Pick up the phone. So it's not just the decision makers. (laughs) It's not just the decision makers. It's also the influencers within the company. And it's the uh, where they search online and which conferences they go to and which social networks they are on. Yeah, and and the the engagement factor is again both live and uh, uh and online. Mm-hmm. So, um I don't get out a tremendous amount unless I'm actually speaking somewhere. I have tried more in the last year and a half to get out to more things. So, I'll mm-hmm. go to the Wash Tech breakfast. Uh they, they do wonderful power breakfast. I go to Bloomberg briefings mm-hmm. and a few other things. But I don't go to a lot of things. But when I'm out there, people come up because they know me from LinkedIn, from the radio, from my Wash Tech column. But they'll also assume that we've met. Mm-hmm. And That's right. I would say at least half the times that is probably not accurate. It's true. You know, it's what people will say, oh, well, you know, I saw your advertisement on television. Well, we never advertise on television. But, you know, uh, and which is just human nature. That's just the way we process information. But your point is well taken that if they see you where they're looking, they sort of make the connection that you're everywhere. Yeah. So um, do you want to talk a little bit about the sample from from the study? Because uh, that that's pretty interesting too. Sure. The uh, we mentioned a little bit earlier that uh, we were looking at all different sizes of firms, and that you can find high growth in any of the sizes. But we also looked across a variety of different industries, and uh, in other words, we were looking at the size of the firm. We were looking at which industry they were from. Uh, whether or not they had mergers and acquisitions, and also their involvement in government contracting. And what we found out is when we looked at the overall uh, census data about the size of firms, we pretty well represented firms that were there 
but we have oversampled. We've got a higher sample of firms that are above the million dollars. As right. as they get larger, we've oversampled more so you can get a representative. Even though there's only a smaller number of very large firms, it's important from the overall industry that you get a bigger sampling of those and then you also get the smaller ones so you can represent well, and see how they're the same or different. But what's what's cool about this is uh, obviously there's fewer of the larger ones and a lot of the smaller ones and for micro firms, those making less than a million dollars, uh-huh. you have 37% and small firms under 5 million, 20%. So, and that that's pretty accurate representation of the market as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you know, small firms need to grow too. They, they've they yeah. got the same issues. And, uh, you know, it, it's I find it interesting just from human nature. When you talk to large firms, they say, oh, gosh, yeah, we got this large firm. It's impossible to make a decision. We can't get anything done. It takes forever. Gosh, I wish we had all the luck of those small firms. They're so agile and they can do this stuff. And you go to a small firm and they say, oh, gosh, we don't have any resources and we don't have anything. Boy, if we were a big firm, it would be easy. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, the small firms look at a study like this and go, we can't do all of that. Well, you don't have to do it all at once. Right. It's an incremental process, but it does start with number one. That's the differentiation. Yes, and, and I, I think the important point is you don't have to do everything, but you do have to do something. Yeah. And you, you, can't, you can't just pretend, you know, you can't write a check now and then for a sponsorship of a golf tournament and say you're marketing. Yes, and and we we can discuss the merits of sporting events as marketing anyway. Yeah, uh, but that's beside the point. But yeah, so uh, you don't have to do everything, but what you choose to do, you need to do well. Yes, you need to do well. You need to develop your skill in it, and you need to make sure it's something that is relevant or something where your audience turns. Because uh, if you're going to focus on something, make sure it's the right thing. Yes. Final thoughts. Well, I think the uh, for me the key is that this is a changing market, and as the market is changing, our marketing and our approach to our clients and our prospects needs to evolve with it. Okay, fair enough, and and thank you for doing the study and for doing them every year. It's our pleasure. Lee and- Fredrickson, HingeMarketing.com. The study is 2019 uh, high growth study. Uh, and there are other studies there as well, so download And they're free. And they're free. Well, the executive summaries are free. The executive so, summaries are free, yes. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, the, the exact summary is like 40 pages, so you got a lot of meat here. So uh, get it, digest it. This is not my day job. I advise companies, uh, large, medium, and small, on all aspects of uh, social selling, content marketing, building that subject matter expert platform. I leverage a lot of the information that Lee provides, that Market Connection provides, uh, and uh, I am an advisor. I am not an ad agency, so I will make you actually do some of the stuff. If this is of interest, drop me a line at uh, mark at federaldirect.net, and thank you for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.